You know, there's something about this phrase that's just registering in my spirit. But Jesus, the, the name of Jesus will break every stronghold. Every stronghold. And I know there are people here today and you're thinking, I know there are still things in my life that need to be broken. But, you know, when I was a young Christian, it, just, it was just like dominoes, the things that broke off of me. And now those, those moments of, those threshold moments of breakthrough are, are fewer and far between. And it's because there are more significant strongholds, deeper, hidden things that God is breaking. But I'm telling you, every response, every time you sing the name of Jesus, every time you you respond in obedience to him, every time you get a revelation of some part of his name, it's like another straw, another bit of weight is added to the breaking of that stronghold. And this morning, this morning, could be an addition of 10 or 20 times the regular thing that happens in your life. That's what the collective anointing is about. I mean, there, there's a straw that breaks the camel's back, but it's not just the one straw that does it. It's the collection of every moment. And I'm just believing this morning that there's going to be an anointing. Reach up. I mean, set your heart right now. Set your heart right now, God. I want this to be a threshold moment, a watershed moment. Lord, break every stronghold. Lord, we say shift, shift. We say, Lord, let the anointing for breaking yokes come into this room today. Let this be a shift day. Oh, in Jesus' name. Break, 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 break. Come on, we're leaning into Jesus this morning. And this, you may not need that shift for your life, but maybe the person to your left and right needs it. Lord, we're leaning into you. God, 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 we need you. You know, the good thing is, is, Regardless of how you walked in here today, you don't have to leave that way. That's who he is. I just want to read to you out of John 12, verse 46. This is Jesus speaking. It says, I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. That's who he is. Whatever darkness is in your journey, he wants to take you out of that. That's who we serve. We're going to go back into worship in a minute, but we want to welcome everybody to Spruce Grove Community Church today. We're glad you're here. We see a lot of visitors. A special welcome to you today. We'd encourage you after the service, we have a welcome center. If you have any questions, feel free to go and ask Lori. She'll be there. But today we just want you to feel a freedom to come into this place and just love Jesus. Just love Jesus, however that may look. Now, how many believe there's power in the testimony? Does anybody believe there's power in the testimony? I believe that too. So before we go back into this, Joel, come on up. Joel Puckalo's got a testimony. We just want to hear what you have to say. Thanks, man. Yeah, before I start, I just want to honor the backstory of this testimony. You know, the spirit of the Lord 
is, you know, the spirit of Jesus. It, it stirs the testimony, it stirs the prophecy. And, and what was really amazing is just to be, I want to honor every person in this room. You know, you guys inspire this testimony to hear week after week what the Lord is doing in your lives. It stirs something. It actually plants seeds that activate something inside of you to go after yourself. So anyway, we were on this plane, Andrea and I, and uh, I just really felt the, the, the Father's heart for this stewardess. Um, so I, I was just praying and said, okay, Lord, what do you have? And I really just felt like God just loved him. So I stepped out and just, just shared that with him. And, and as we began to talk, um, he, he just kind of began to cry. and just said, I, you know, a year ago, God did something in my life, and I've just been praying for about a year, just really struggling. So it was just amazing what the Lord did, and he just kind of ran to the back. And I was like, cool, that was great, great. And then afterwards, another stewardess came up, and she said, are you guys Christians? And she said, my friend's in the back crying. He's just experiencing God's love. So um, we began to talk, and she actually used to attend this church. And she said, for three days, I've been like just praying and feeling like I needed to talk to this guy. But you actually doing it activated something in me to actually share with him as well. So I just want to pray for him. I want to pray for each person in this room. Father, would you just stir in each of us an activation as we hear testimony, as we hear the word spoken in every person in this room. Father, would it rise something? Would you stir the waters in us to actually step out in your love, to feel the stirring, just as in 1 Samuel, Lord, 14 and 17, Father, that when David went out and hit Goliath, defeated Goliath, it was victory for all of Israel. All of Israel was activated when Jonathan went up and defeated, <coughs> again, there was faith activated, Father. So I just pray. Sometimes we get to be the David in this story. Sometimes we get to be Israel. But when we're Israel, Lord, would the Davids in this room arise and inspire us in Jesus' name? And when we're Israel, what can we celebrate each person, what God is doing in each person to rise up and share their story? And when we're the David, would we be, we be bold to those around us in our workplaces, in our communities, Father? Would we just feel the stirring of your love, the stirring of your heart, and step out and share because you're rising the water levels of your love, this fierce love in this, pres in this room right now, Father. We just pray for every person. There would just be an activation right now in Jesus' name of your love of stepping out and sharing your beautiful love with the world, Father. Amen. Can we say amen? Yeah. Amen. Let's worship him. In just a second, Grace is going to share something. But I, I'm telling you, this is a moment of breakthrough. You know, if you look at the itinerary of Jesus, when the blind Bartimaeus got his miracle, nobody else did. When the, when, the, when the lame man was in the temple and he was waiting for the stirring of the waters, nobody got a miracle, but he did. There's specific moments where people broke through into something to touch the hem of his garment and receive a healing. And uh, sometimes it's friends that are pushing in for a friend who can't stand. And uh, that's what Grace is doing here. Grace, share, share what's on your heart here. I have actually worked with somebody for the last probably five or so years, and um, her health continues to decline. And you know what? She can't stand for herself. And I'm standing here today believing that God is going to touch her life, and God is going to make her whole, and God is going to rise her up. And she will rise forth in the name of the Lord, and she will be healed. That everything, her nerves will come into place. And God Almighty, that you will fill her, Lord. 
God, that you will fill her, Father, from the tip of her head to the tip of her toes, Lord. That you will flow through her. That you will flow through her. And that her spirit and her body would come in line with you, Lord. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would touch her life, Father. God, that you would rise her up. That you would rise her up, God, and you would awaken her spirit, oh Lord. That you would call her forth into your kingdom, that she has a destiny for you, Lord. She has a destiny for you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the healing. I claim it and I believe it in your name. I believe it in your name, Father. In your name, God. In your name. So, Father, as we continue to worship, Father, we know that there are represented in this room many needs, many burdens, many, uh, many torments of minds and hearts that need to be broken. And, God, we contend not only for ourselves and our friends, but, God, for a deluge of breakthrough that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would fill this place would spill over the wall and into this community. Father, in Jesus' name, may every place on which our foot shall tread be that which you have given to us. Father, we say, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Oh, God, let your kingdom come. Now, let me, let me share something with you. There's a duality to what Miranda was saying. Because, you know, it says in Acts, it says, in him we live and move and have our being. And, and the one, the, the unknown God that whom you worship, he's saying, listen, he's not far from you. He's not far from you. You, you know, there's this, this reality that God is ever present. God is ever present. But he's not ever present in the same way. When we're saying your kingdom come on earth as he is in heaven, he is in heaven in a way he is not here. And what we're trying to do, and what worship does, and what faith does, it it allows a materialization of the difference. It allows that gap of the difference between the way he is manifesting in heaven that he would manifest on earth in that way. See, when we're saying come, in the Bible, when we say come, we're not saying, you know, you're not here. We're saying appear, appear, manifest, appear, manifest. It is the manifestation of Christ that breaks the works of the wicked one. What worship does, it brings a manifestation. What we live for is not the fact that, yeah, God is here. He is here. But that gives me faith to lean into manifestation. Can you hear me? We want manifestation. I want manifestation for the sickness that's trying to steal my joy. I want manifestation for what the enemy's trying to do. I want manifestation for my neighbor. I want manifestation for the person on the left and right. I want manifestation so that I can know the power of heaven on earth. God, your kingdom come. Come on. God, manifest yourself. 
like you did in the day of Elijah, who will manifest themselves? That's the question. Which God will be manifested by the people who serve their gods? Lord, manifest yourself. Oh, God. The entire journey of your Christian life does not revolve around a passive belief that God is. In fact, Paul says, you know, the demons believe and tremble. It's like, so what? So what? The measure of faith is all around, can you see the manifestation in your life of the God whom you believe? You know, when Joel shared his testimony, what he was sharing really is a testimony of manifestation that when I was moved by the heart of God for an unsaved person, and I prayed, and then when I spoke, God came down into that moment and bridged the gap between God is resident in silence, and now he's manifest. We are here. We are here to bridge the gap for those who don't know who he is, who have never tasted to see that he is good and to see the manifestation of that power in our lives increase. Every revival, every outpouring, every impartation of gifting is to increase your capacity to manifest Him wherever you walk, wherever you go. This is your destiny. This is the pinnacle of your your promise that God with us, the hope of glory, God in us, Emmanuel, God walking with us, fellowship, his presence, his glory. When people look at you, say, what is it about you? You change the atmosphere. I've been watching you for days and weeks. Every time you come into my office, every time you come into my store, every time I talk to you, I get encouraged. Is that the testimony that follows you, that there is a manifestation of the goodness of God? This is what the training is about. This is what we're doing right now, collectively. Can you say amen? All right, we're going to shift in just a minute. But I want us to, I want us to release a shout. You know, the, the reason for the shout is for manifestation. When they walked around the walls of Jericho, then they, they, he said shout at the end, and they shouted. It didn't seem to make sense, but that shout bridged the gap between God existing and God present and manifest. Oh, you are the vehicle that manifests, that God is using to manifest his presence. Every place your foot steps on. This is the promise he gave to Abraham. God's, Abraham's probably thinking, well, why don't you just give it to me? He said, no. You are the vehicle through which I'm extending my kingdom. You are the one that I'm using. Every place you put your foot, Abraham, I'll give that to you. So, Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, In Jesus' name, Lord, we say, give us this land. Give us this city. Give us this province. Give us this nation. Oh, God, give us this place. Give us this place. Give us this place. Honored, 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 honored as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. 
Whoa. All right. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, I remember when I was a young Christian, I, came, I was one year at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas, or one semester, and I went home to visit my family. And I thought, you know, man, my family's going to be blown away. I mean, I'm going to bring such an amazing impact. And I came and, and uh, you know, I, I felt like well, something's wrong here. My, my family is not amazed. <laughs> they're, they're not, uh, okay, yeah, I see people taking their kids to the kids' church, kids' church, and whatever's going on out there is open. Bless you. Come back, adults. <laughs> Suddenly, uh, that whole section disappeared. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and it was like, and I didn't understand it. I was frustrated by that. And I was blaming my family for not being, you know, cooperative enough with what God's doing in my life. <laughs> but, uh, you know, brothers, they just like, who do you think you are? It's like, whatever. But really, really, I was participating in the manifestation of Christ that others were bringing me. But the reality was I hadn't really learned much how to manifest him in my world. And so what I was tasting when I went back to my home and to my family is the actually the amount, the, the real bandwidth of my faith, <laughs> the real bandwidth of my capacity so far in the kingdom of God. See, what I had done is I had been at CFNI in Dallas, Texas, and I had, I had determined the atmosphere that was being generated there as being synonymous with me. <laughs> and, then, and then when I went out, you know, on my own, it's like, Huh, something wrong with you people. And the Lord said, no, no, no. Now, this is the barometer of your effectiveness. Can you bring the kingdom of God when those other leaders and those other ones that actually have been doing furnishing a manifestation, the presence that you experience every time you worship, Mark, is actually largely being, being afforded to you by others who have a depth of faith that's much greater than you. And uh, And so... God is saying, listen, there, there, is, there is more. And when you go to work and you think, man, I wish I could bring that presence that we had here on Sunday. I wish I could bring that to work. You can. Maybe not today, but that's the goal. That's the goal. That's, and so, God, you have to start asking yourself this question when you come here on Sunday. Okay, how much, God, am I receiving of the atmosphere as provided by others? And how much I actually, am I actually participating and generating that atmosphere? And uh, when he says, you know, this much, then okay, don't be discouraged. Don't go, you know, don't leave. But say, okay, God, I am going to make it my aim to be a manifester of your kingdom. That's what we're here for. And that manifestation can take place in terms of generosity, in terms of kindness, in terms of evangelism, in terms of giving, you know, in terms of administration. There's a plethora of expressions. But at the end of the day, we're always manifesting one thing, Jesus, Him. Amen? Man, maybe. Welcome to church, manifestors of God. This is our destiny, amen? I'm going to introduce uh, my friend. I don't get to see him that often, but I, I really love this guy. So when I was a fresh, born-again Christian, I graduated from Christ of the Nations in December 83, and I think he graduated from there in 77. 
uh, May or June 77. Is that right? Anyway, so he's not that much older than me, but I thought he was way older than me, but he's actually only only a little bit older than me. But his name's Mike Massa, and he was teaching when I was a student there, and he taught a course called The Purposes of God. And uh, and, and he pulled out, I mean, it was this these phrases. He's a, he's a wordsmith when it comes to biblical words and finding this, you know, that line of gold that, that uh, through, through the word that sort of ties things together. And so the eternal purpose of God, he taught about the eternal purpose that, wow, eternal purpose. That means there was, there was very specific intention that God had in his heart. That course marked me. There's passages in Ephesians today, like Ephesians 3, 10, and 11, that just, I mean, they're the cornerstone of things in my life. And he had a part in releasing that seed that has shaped my revelation today. And so I'm very grateful. I got to reconnect with him in Dallas a few years ago. And uh, as as some, some Canadian leaders got involved uh, from the uh, Apostolic Network with uh, Dennis Peacock, he is a significant, uh, I think, the lead prayer coordinator. Do you still do that? For Dennis Peacock and what they're doing in uh, in in and around the world, so will you please welcome Mike Massa? And as he's coming, we have to run we have to run to the airport right after the meeting, so he's not going to be able to talk to you or pray for you or shake your hand or prophesy over you. So our apologies in advance. It's a time thing. Father, there isn't anybody like you. You alone, uncomparable. Uh, No one, no one at all (laughs) in your category. Thank you for your grip on us. Thank you for your blessing in this place. Thank you for the evidence of your face shining. May your approval rest here in greater and greater measure. May not only they and we be a delight to you, but may we be aware of your delight in us. This is your time. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know why, but I was thinking as the service began about a time almost 30 years ago in my home, our second son was about five years old. And... I had about five guys with me in the front room, a discipleship kind of gathering. And Nancy, my wife, had made some brownies for the meeting. And they were on the coffee table. And the meeting was taking place. Well, Christopher, he's five. And about ten minutes in, he just walks in, grabs a brownie and walks out. And the, the five guys go and look at me like they were upset, you know. Didn't bother me, you know. So about five minutes, he came back and get a second, got a second one, and I was fine with him. Now a third time, I would have stopped him, but these five guys were upset. For them, the brownies were theirs. But let me tell you what my five-year-old was thinking. Let me tell you what he's thinking, and I and I was I was really kind of pleased with him. He said uh, in his heart, "That's my dad." This is my house. I can have a brownie. Amen. So with God, he's your father. 
you are his house. Get a brownie. Yeah. The, the color helps. <laughs> you know. Earlier, Pastor Mark was talking about when he came home from, his, from school one time and his, he was thinking he was here, and in fact he was here, and the Lord had to inform him. And so I, I tell, you know, we live by the words that come out of his mouth, right? And if he tells me I'm a jerk, I'm blessed because I'm no longer a deceived jerk. <laughs> The rest of you have been aware of it for a while. You're glad I now am informed about my status. Huh. There's a course I teach called Freedom Road at school. And it's about hearing the voice of God. It's about overcoming trauma and abuse and that kind of thing. Sad to say that kind of stuff's increasing far too much in our culture. Um, there's a phrase the Lord gave us that is so powerful to me what God did in Christ at the cross is stronger than what you did or was done to you hear it again what God did in Christ at the cross is stronger than what you did or was done to you what God did in Christ at the cross is stronger than what the devil did in the garden I ask people to say that. What God did in Jesus at the cross is stronger than what I did or was done to me. A friend of mine was a tremendous worship leader, and he was sexually abused as a boy, and he always wrestled with the homosexual stuff after that. And then he became my best friend. He and his wife, Lori, were uh, Nancy and my best friends. We just, we were, it was just a delightful uh, quartet of relationship and love and joy and laughter and praying and blessing and ministering together. And then he messed up. And I was given the responsibility to serve him into health. And quite an intensive school of intimacy with God and, and trying to process that failure on his part. We, he, was one of the, he was one of the finest worship leaders I've ever worked with. He was supernaturally given the ability to play the piano at four years old. And in two weeks was playing like he'd not played it for years. And so that was part of the problem. Because people say, would you come? Would you come and play the piano? So they weren't receiving him. They were receiving his gift. And studio musicians would see him when he was 13. And they'd say, where would you get your left hand? Where'd you get that? I mean, a prophecy would come, and he would play with it remarkably. I would sing a prophetic song, and you know, first time in the history of the world ever been sung, and he'd play it like he wrote it a year ago. I mean, it was astonishing. Remarkable, remarkable gift. Great composer. He would take a scripture and compose this, these marvelous melodies and majestic and deep penetrating realities, amazing man. Anyway, here he is in this gross failure. And that's where the line came. What God did in Jesus was stronger than what you did or was done to you. And one day, I told him that probably a thousand times the first six months. 
And one day, he believed it. He accepted it. He came in, kind of had this, sat down, Mike, I don't care if I ever lead worship again. I said, praise God. He said, well, yeah, but why? I said, because you finally believe he loves you for who you are, not what you can do. It's a powerful breakthrough for him. It was a miracle in his heart and his brain. Amen. Well, the Lord has changed my message three times up until this morning in the car. I changed it again. So, Matthew 16. Familiar passage. You know it. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. I call it the essence sequence of the church. When you hear the word essence, have you got that? Have you got? You don't have that. Don't worry about it, Matthew. It's fine. Just leave that up there. When you hear the word essence, you know what? You ever seen a perfume bottle? O-E-A-U, they perfume. E-A-U is essence. Essence is the aroma. It's the fragrance. It's what's essential. See, green beans with onions and bacon, got to have the bacon. Cooking on the stove smells different than apple pie. Yeast rolls don't smell the same as cornbread, do they? The aroma indicates what's, is, what's the essence of the person. You know the, the verse in 2 Corinthians 2.14, I got to move fast because this is a rabbit. I got to move quickly with it. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests the fragrance of knowing him in every place. So I'm, I mean, what's, what's Jesus smell like? And I, so so I, was, I, was, I, was, I was, do we need to start a fragrance of Jesus cult? What is, the, what, I mean, what, is, what is this? What is the fragrance of Jesus? And I meditated on that for several years. And the Lord one day said, Mike, what did it smell like at the tabernacle of Moses? What's the first thing you smell? Blood, blood. When you're walking up, blood. Yet there's a reason why at the grocery store there's that, there's that pane of glass between the butcher and the meat that's been wrapped up because blood is off-putting. So there's this offense that you first, there's an offense of Christ that you can't get away from and it's off-putting, but the next smell is barbecue. Huh? And barbecue is good. Barbecue's burning, burning meat, burning flesh. Uh-huh, you understand. And then you've got fresh water. The labor's there. Have you ever smelled rain before it came? Doesn't that give you a kind of a... Kind of, and even afterwards, that lingering aroma. And then you get into the holy place, and you've got three smells in there. You've got fresh bread. You know, restaurants have their signature breads. You have Olive Garden. Sticks. Do you have uh, you have Spring Creek barbecue? Do you with their yeast rolls? Do you have uh, Red Lobster with their with their with those biscuits? Oh man, it's not good to talk about food at church. Anyway, um, <laughs> there. Are, but that bread had to be refreshed every week. Had to be current, and there ought to be a, the smell of fresh bread in you and me. There ought to be the sacrificial blood. I, I've lost my life. There's a, there ought to be a little bit of off-putting about me than the attraction of the barbecue. There's a reason why these restaurants cook their barbecue outside because you can smell it a block or two away, you know, coming through. Burning barbecue are good. It smells good. Then the water, then the, the fresh bread, then you've got the 
Oil burning, the lampstand. Oil doesn't smell like other. Oil burning is different. Holy Spirit on fire. And then the incense. Four things died to make that incense. There's a, there's a smell of a fragrance of death that is alluring. It's attracting. It's, 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 it's amazing. But four things had to die. Some plant had to die, some animal, you know, a shell kind of thing had to die to make those four things to make the incense. And that's burning continually. That's refreshed all the time. So those aromas are daily. And, and, and I submit to us that that may be some of what people ought to smell in you and me if we know the Lord well. The people that I've met around the world, and I've not traveled anywhere near as much as Pastor Mark has, but the people I've met, whether they be intercessors or worshipers or, or prophets or preachers or, or business people that know him well, humility is the common fragrance. They're not trying to be humble. They are. They're not working at it. They are. Because uh, if, if, if I'm working at trying to be humble, you can smell my effort. Okay? But when, when I become humble, I, I'm not even aware anymore. Uh, he just coming through. So that's all free. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, and in the Greek it's this, but you, who do you say that I am? Because it matters what you say about him. And Peter speaks up. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus explodes. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not shown this to you. But my father has revealed it. And he said, I also say that you are Peter. You are Petros. And on this Petra, different word, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Heaven, I want to go through the essence sequence of the church revealed here in this passage. The first thing is a revelation. Peter says you are the Christ, but that was because before that, the Father had revealed something to him. Revelation humbles you, and revelation comes because we're humble. God gives grace to the humble. I mean, I see you January 2015 for nine days because on January 1st, They told me I was 48 hours from dying. I had about a 12 centimeter, 14 centimeter lymphoma right here, bumping my neck in several of the spots, and I was 48 hours from dying. And a lady came in the second day, an intercessor. Nancy called her. My wife called her. And we knew she'd have a word from God. That's who she was. So she walks in, and I'm thinking she's going to take authority over every demon in the room and, and three rooms on each side and just, you know, fix it. 
she walks up to me and she goes, Matthew 15, 13. And I'm running through the healing verses and I'm going, that's not one of those. And then she's, now remember I got these rebel cells trying to ruin my life right here. And she says, what my heavenly father has not planted, he will uproot. Nancy and I just grabbed that. And the Lord heard that out of our mouth for some time. And two months later, there were no rebel cells in my body and went back teaching at the school. The revelation, the revelation is critical. God gives grace to the humble. But it was the second day in the ICU that I'd gotten up somehow out of the bed in ICU. Anybody here a nurse? Sure. Anybody ICU? Okay. So somehow I got out of the bed at 2 o'clock in the morning. And the alarm didn't go off. And I fell in the, in the room. I didn't even remember it. So I wake up the next morning, and there's this band on my wrist. It says, fall risk. <laughs> and that whiteboard says, fall risk, and severe is checked. <laughs> and I remember seeing it. I said, I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to fall. What are, you, what, are you, what are you doing? I'm not going to fall. And the Lord said, may I speak to you? I said, sure. He said, him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Oh, can I say something further? Sure. He said, Michael, you've been arrogant. Now, for me, that was brand new information. But immediately, there were five things lined up in me. Bum, 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 bum. And I mean, vile, perverse, evil stuff. Now, God didn't give me the cancer, Okay. He just took advantage of the moment to inform me about my status. And I mean vile stuff. Things, I I just hadn't recognized it. I was glad when some leader messed up. It, it, It was, it was, I mean, it was devilish stuff. And then he said, then he, then he informed me very graciously, not condemning or whatever. He says, Michael, it's very difficult for me to give grace to prideful people. I fight them. I resist them. I give grace to the humble. You've been arrogant. So he's, he's, in, he's letting me know my state. I, it was ble- I was blessed for him to tell me, you're arrogant. It, it was helpful. I'm blind as a bat. You realize when you look in the mirror, there's a whole side of you you can't see. Breakthrough for, a breakthrough place for Nancy and me was, it was about our third year of marriage, and we've been married 41 years, and third year of marriage, and we're having the same conversation we've had about four or five times before, and we've never resolved it. Same, same difficulty, same pressure, same, you know, same, same topic. Every eight months, same conversation, and we don't fix it. And while Nancy's talking to me, the Lord drops a, a Bible down in front of me in my mind's eye between her and me. And I'm trying to listen to her, which I'm not doing a good job. Anyway, uh, he drops the Bible down. He says, what do you see? Now, Nancy's talking when he shows me this. And he said, what do you, I said, white paper with black ink on it. And he says, what's Nancy see? Black with gold letters. And I went, oh, dawned on me. What I'm seeing, I'm seeing accurately. 
But there's a whole side of the issue I'm not getting at all. So with that, and I didn't, tell, I didn't ask her this question, but it was what I meant when I asked it. I said, uh, when she got done, I said, Nancy, what does black with gold letters look like? And she went, you're trying to listen to me. I said, well, I'm dumb as a stump, but I'm trying. That little picture changed our life. So instead of me trying to make her see white with black letters, I began to believe that she saw black with gold letters. And we're much better off together. So instead of trying, I'm never going to see black with gold unless I hang around Nancy. If I hang around her, I get that benefit. So now I had to respect what she was saying was true. She wasn't just, because I was thinking, are you looking at this? Can't you see? I thought she's thinking the same thing. Are you looking at this? We were seeing the right, rightly, but only one side of the issue. So now things are very different. Anyway, the Lord gives a revelation to him, and that revelation came because Peter humbled himself to hear it. And then... He says, my father has revealed this. So the the father revealed it. The confession came. You are the Christ. And then he adds, he said, and you are Petros. He got his identity after the revelation. People try to find out who they are without talking to the one who made them. And I'll never see myself clearly till I talk to the one who loves me the most. And has the power and knows every." atomic detail of my being sees me utterly clearly he says you are petros and that word is a small stone and upon this rock i think jesus went like this you are petros upon this petra and petra is a big massive stone the catholics have it wrong peter is not the rock the church is built on can't be the grammar won't permit you to think peter is that Jesus is the Petra, the massive stone. I will build my church. So the revelation comes. Identity is then imparted after the revelation comes. Now, then he says, I will build my church. If you're going to build something, what do you have to have? If you're going to build something. You've got to have, you've got to have three things. Three things, real simply, three things. You need a plan. You need somebody who's going to oversee the thing, a, a, a boss, a leader, a, you know, the construction manager, whomever. And you've got to put some things together. This, this room was constructed. Different things are put together. The carpet's soft. The floor is hard. The, the, the wood, the lights, I mean, everything. It, and there was a plan to it. You can tell by this, this thing was planned. So let's get all the materials and have the plan and nobody in charge. Now what happens? Chaos. Disorder. So God's going to build. So what's he do? He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got an idea, a goal he has in mind. And and then he, he starts putting stuff together. You ever thought about your leg? This bone, the shin, strongest bone in your body, and the calf muscle, they are not the same at all. One's hard, stiff, strong, can handle almost, I think, let me, I'm trying to get in your deal, 600 kilos of pressure. 
I think that's right. Okay? And the calf muscle is soft and spongy and stretchy. And God puts those two things together. Attach them on both ends. And they couldn't be more different. God's putting his body together. Sometimes he puts you with somebody. How am I? Why am I with them? Because <laughs> the bone without the muscle is worthless. The muscle without the bone is worthless. But you attach those two on, on two ends and you can run. You can, you can work. You can serve. You can give. You can move. And without the, without the joining, yeah, you're worthless. God's building his church. He's building who, his church. It's not, it's not Pastor Mark's. It's not yours. It, it's his church. It's what he wants. Now, very interesting to me. There are numerous terms that are given in the New Testament for what we call the church. We're called the body. We're called a bride. We're called a family. We're called a, a house. We're called a flock. We're called a temple. We're called a field, and then the implication is we're an army. Paul talks about his fellow soldiers, talks about our armor. So there's this military aspect to our function as well. And all those images are right. All of them are legitimate. They're, they're accurate. And the, the body has a head. The bride has a groom. The family has a father. The house has a foundation. The flock has a shepherd. The temple has a high priest. The field has a farmer. And the army's got a general. So all these pictures indicate both the the activity of the collective, but there is leadership. There's governance. There's actual, um, you know... uh, Instruction, correction, direction given through the leadership in every one of those pictures. But as legitimate as all those are, when Jesus introduced the reality of the church, he didn't use any of those words. Now, he came to a significant degree. One of his purposes was to build his church. But he doesn't use any of those images to talk to us about that. He's waiting to... Talk about, he wants to talk about, of course you want to talk with your guys about why you've come. I've, I've come to build my church, but he doesn't bring it until a revelation is brought. Hear me. If there is no revelation of Jesus himself in the church, you don't have a church. A church is not all the nice people in town trying to do good stuff. That's not the church. That's the, some community you know, you know yeah, yeah, Elks or whatever, whatever, just some service entity. It's not about all the good people being do-gooders. It's people who've seen something heavenly that is not earthly. Flesh and blood did not reveal this. You can't figure him out with your head. The God we serve will not fit between your ears. If he does, he's way too tiny. People, people say, well, I don't understand him. Good. If we're going to get to know him forever, for a while. Jack Hayford was at CFNI years ago, and we were having a, a worship time. And it was a strong worship time. And it went on for a while, and my arms were up. And, and for a while, I got fatigued. And I, and I lowered my arms because I was, they were physically tired. And a message in tongues came, and Brother Hayford came up and interpreted it. And he said, you have wondered. How the angels can keep on worshiping because you get worn out. And I go, yeah, I am. What, what, what you got? 
And he said, the angels look at the Lord. They look at me. And they say, holy, 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 holy Lord God almighty. And then they're finished based on what they've seen. So they lift their heads and they look at him again. And they see another facet of his being, another aspect of who he is that they've never seen before. And that brand new revelation motivates them all over again. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And they do that forever. We got a big God. So he doesn't fit between our ears. He's not supposed to. God doesn't live here. Look, he lives here. He lives in your belly. He lives down here. You don't sense God here. You don't sense God with your body. He's down here. When people say, God, talk to me, wrong spot. God talks to you. Where do you sense fear? In your gut. Why? Because it's a spirit. Where's the spirit live? Here. So the spirit of God, and you go, here, out of your belly. Flow rivers. I'm not trying to give you a biology lesson. I'm just, the Bible, the, the, the Spirit lives in the midst of us. He doesn't, well, here, do not lean on our own understanding and all your ways not to him. He directs. That really smart people have a hard time submitting to supernatural revelation. They have a hard time because this is so powerful. They got such an abundance here, it deceives them. The deceit of abundance, the deceit of riches. They, they, they're so smart. I heard a guy on the radio several years ago. He, I, I appreciate him, but he, I started talking to him on the radio because he made me laugh. And, and uh, he, he speaks in a kind of dignified tone. And he goes, I know learned doctorates who do not understand some of the scriptures. And I started laughing. I said, well, I called his name. I said, well, of course. Jesus told us you smart guys wouldn't get it. <laughs> Leaning here is a recipe for a faulty foundation nothing wrong with our brain just submit it and let let his revelation instruct give us the mind of christ from the spirit amen so he says i will build my church i will build my ecclesia was the term he used the ecclesia was a scandalous word for jesus to use with the jews because the ecclesia was a greek and roman governing council And they met in the city gates. This was the landowners, the the seasoned leaders of the city would meet. They'd call the ecclesia and they would generate laws for the community. They They would receive salespeople who would bless the city and they'd kick out the ones who were cheating the people. So they would bind and loose what was allowed, what was not allowed in the community. The ecclesia had governing Authority, now listen to me. When Jesus introduced the church, he didn't talk about family, house, body, temple, not first. The first thing he said was governing council. Does anybody put a three-year-old on the governing council? Well, some of them act like they're three-year-olds, but anyway, moving along. So with his use of the term ecclesia, he's already provoking us into this mature position. He's already stirring us into a place of responsibility. You know, nobody has a problem with the one-year-old acting like a one-year-old. 
Nobody does. That's sure. But 10 years later, if they're still acting like a one-year-old, nobody's encouraged at all. You're troubled by it. And the Lord, the whole context of him, he, we have an 11-month-old grandson, William Declan. He is a grinning machine, okay? He's, he's delightful. And we, we couldn't love him more. We couldn't be more glad about him. He couldn't be more of a son to my son and his wife or a grandson. He couldn't be more of that to us. He can't be more of a son. But we all want him to grow up. We all do. And we'll love him all the way through. And we would be, we would be grieved if he was retarded spiritually, physically. We'd be troubled by that. And the Lord wants us to grow up. So if you preach an anorexic gospel, you don't get mature believers. Our gospel, in my opinion, has been quite mitigated. So we have enough gospel so that you will go to heaven when you die. But not enough strength for you to die now so heaven can come here. It's, it's different. You don't, you don't put three-year-olds on the... So here's this vision the Lord has for an ecclesia, a governing council for the community in the spirit. But he can't put three-year-olds on it. There are things he wants to supply to us, things he wants to give, but he can't give them to us. Nobody puts a three-year-old in the army either. Love us like crazy, all for us, receives us, accepts us, approves us in Christ, but he's saddened because we're not stepping into our place of responsibility. We're not stepping into that. We haven't been, our gospel's been too mitigated, been too me-focused, and, and nothing about living in him now until we die. You understand? You, you're with me? The sequence, the revelation, the identity. He's going to build his church, put us together with his plan. And then he says, and the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. That, see, that term gates is strange there, except the ecclesia term, he's matching the other thing because the ecclesia met in the city gates. And the, the council of Hades has meetings and they have a plan trying to stop what the Lord's doing in you and me. And we have the right. It's not about hunting the enemy down. Don't have to hunt him down. If you'll follow Jesus, you'll meet him. Okay? I'm not trying to be cute there. The enemy's not the point. We, our goal is Christ. We, follow, we, we go after him. And in pursuing him, we will encounter the enemy because God wants the ecclesia to deal with the uncleannesses in our communities. I talked to an FBI agent in the United States several years ago. And this lady told me, she said, Mike, the number, one of the first places in the United States where sex traffickers from around the world kidnap young men and young women, one of their best places to do that in one of the most horrific schemes of darkness. You realize that sex trafficking makes more money than Google and Apple combined? One of the best places on the planet for them to do that wicked perverse, perversity is in Dallas County, in my city. 
Dallas has got over 30 mega churches with 30,000 plus. And we think we're doing a good job. And the enemy's got a door in our county where the enemy's working such perverse, evil uncleannesses and selling our kiddos off around the globe into horrific, devilish places. Don't you think the ecclesia in Dallas ought to shut that door and say, we prohibit that kind of activity going on in our ground, in our turf? Largest homosexual church in the United States was in Dallas, Texas. That's a strange juxtaposition, isn't it? Homosexual in church. I'm, I'm not against homosexuals. I'm against homosexuality because it dishonors him and destroys the person. I've got all kinds of friends who were, and some that still are, bound in homosexual behavior. I, I love them. I'm not against them at all. I'm against the, the, the actions because it's so destructive to the Lord's honor and their purpose. I'm not against Mormons. I'm against Mormonism. I'm not against Muslims. I'm against Islam. I'm, I'm not against Hindus. I'm against Hinduism. It's be surgically precise. I'm not against you. I hate what's binding and, and blinding you. By the way, homosexuality is not first a sexual problem. Quit thinking of it that way. First thing about homosexual forces is they are, it's a deceitfulness on steroids. It is amazingly deceitful. A guy looks in the mirror and says, I was made for a man. That's, and then number two, it is extremely aggressive. It's very, I've had men look at me with tears and say, Mike, it never stops. It never stops. It, it's all the time. It's like a hammer. It's aggressive. And if you try to deal with homosexuality from a sexual place, you've already misunderstood it. It's already deceived you. The main weapon it uses is deceit. I talked to a guy years ago with the first person I was trying to work with who was ch- challenged by and struggling with homosexual behavior, and I was intimidated by it. I was scared of it. I was scared of the homosexual stuff. So I talked to this guy who'd been set free. I said, Ed, what do I do? What do I do? What? And I'm kind of desperate. And he looked at me calmly and said, Mike, treat it like sin. I went, oh. Oh. Thank you. I saw black with gold letters. Instead of my Baptist stiff neck. And the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. Jesus at the very beginning said, you are going to meet the plans and the schemes of another governing council. Did you hear it? The church is a governing council. You're going to be antagonized. You're going to be adversely acted against by another governing council that is based from Hades. So, Matthew, can you show me that, that picture? I want to show you something here that I think is, this was very helpful. What I typically do, and, and we just couldn't do it this morning, is I put a big box at the bottom, a rectangular box, where pastors are. 
And for over almost 500 years, pastors and pastoral ministry has been the leading edge of church life. Okay? In the 70s, at least in the United States, the teaching ministry just had this massive anointing on it. It was phenomenal. People got healed while somebody was teaching. It was amazing. In the 80s, the prophets started appearing. In the 90s, now we've got the apostles being recognized, at least in the, in the West, in the United States. Anybody got a problem with that? I do. It's upside down. The pastors are not supposed to be at the base. Ephesians 2.20 says apostles and prophets are the foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says Jesus is the foundation. There is no other foundation that can be laid other than that which has been laid, Jesus Christ. So the Lord himself is the foundation. And Ephesians 2.20 says apostles and prophets are the foundation with the Lord as the cornerstone. So it's upside down. So we've got the apostles now at the top of the networks... But a pastoral base formed it. It's wrong. What do pastors do? What do they do? What's their goal? What do they do? They nurture and serve and bless and care for and love and shepherd and protect and guard. That's great. That's biblical. That's right. But 500 years of pastoral ministry makes me come to church and think about me. And apostles, their first concern, now they love us, but their first concern is not you and me. And by the way, apostles, human beings don't make apostles or prophets. Jesus does that. Denominations don't, committees don't. Jesus does that. If somebody says, well, how do you know if you're an apostle or not? If you're asking the question, you're not. (laughs) Because when you're made an apostle, you're standing in front of Jesus himself when he makes you that. And I can prove that to you biblically, Old Testament, New Testament, from Genesis to maps. I can prove it to you. (laughs) Apostles, their priority is pleasing the one who sent them. Now, Pastor Mark is not really purely a pastor. He's much, much more prophetic and apostolic. So you don't have this, but let's, let's have a, a regular... I'll have an imaginary pastor over here with me. So we, I'm in church one day, and the pastor's here that I've been with for 20 years, and he brings in a real apostle. And I'm listening to the apostle and going, wow, that's good, I think. Um, but man, what they're saying makes me feel responsible <laughs> to grow up. Hey, pastor. Are you speaking next Sunday? He goes, yeah. I said, good. That's really good. That's good. Good. Praise God. Do that several weeks in a row, please. (laughs) Apostles are not trying to bless you and me first. They're trying to please him. See, if you're an ambassador and you go to another country, you don't, even if you become good friends with that other ambassador, you can't say what you want to say. You have to represent the sender. Anybody here work for a, a, a big corporation? Don't tell me the name. Work for a big corporation. Okay. How long you work with them? 33 years. What's their budget, annual budget? Hundreds of millions. Okay. So let's say the president likes you a lot. And he wants you to represent him 
in a business deal where you're going to give $100 million as your, your limit. He tells you what he wants, and you've got a $100 million limit. And so what are you going to do when that, they require 120 You don't do it, do you? Because you're not, you can't make the deal on your own. You're under his authority. And you, you, would, you would say, well, I, I, would, I wouldn't make that deal. I'd get fired on a, on a dime, you know, over. Your loyalty is not to the business deal. Your loyalty is to the one who sent you. The same is true with an ambassador. Well, an apostle's like that. They've been given a task, a job. An apostle is not an apostle everywhere. Even Jesus said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel on that particular occasion. Paul tried to go to Asia. Heard Holy Spirit said, nope. Tried to go to Mysia, nope. He went to bed, come over to you know, Macedonia. We went that way. Apostles aren't apostles everywhere they go. They have an assignment. A focus. Peter and Paul, you go to the Gentiles, I'll go to the Jews, whatever. But an apostolic base, 1 Corinthians 4 9 says, Paul said, I've determined that the apostles are assigned as last, those appointed unto death. I'm wondering, can the guys at the gals to the top separate from the network and the and go over here? And die in Jesus and let the resurrection life of the Lord come up out through them into the house. Consider that. That's an earthquake. We've been pastorally framed in much of the situation. Our worship is about me all too often. Our prayers are about me. When we get an ecclesia, kingdom, heart set with an apostolic base. Our worship changes to his agenda. Our prayers change to his agenda. Our whole purpose is pleasing him because that apostolic thing's moving through us. I'm not trying to mitigate or ruin the pastoral. We all need the encouragement. We all need help. We all need buttressing and, and bolstering. But see, to me, this would be a healthy place. But to me, we are way over here on the I got to go to church and receive something, which is not wicked. It's just more childlike. So I have to make this childish better. I have to make this point about apostles way over here, almost to the extreme, to get us to a healthier spot here. I will build my church. He's going to do it with people who've been sent from him. Sent ones represent the sender. If you receive the sent one, you've just received the sender. If you reject the sent one, you've just rejected the sender. Apostles are scary. So are prophets. Because they're saying what the sender said. And now, inside their office, inside their function, you're not meeting the human. You're meeting the one who sent them. It's, It's... Church can be scary. You you ever thought about when Ananias and Sapphira died that day? Okay. So I don't think Peter knows when Ananias walks in. I don't think he knows. So Ananias tells the story. And you realize there was nothing wrong with them. They could have not sold the house. They didn't have to sell the property. They they were free what they did. They didn't have to give all it away. They didn't have to give any of it away. They could have kept all the money. But what they did was they conspired together and 
they sold it for, let's say, for 200000 and then they agreed to give the 100000 and say that it was the whole thing. That was the problem. And so Ananias walks up, 100000 Pete, 100000 And the Holy Spirit says, he's lying. He goes, bye, boom, slain in the spirit. Graveyard dead. I mean. Now, you know who carried the body out? The young people. Quite a youth ministry, huh? (laughs) You know the word youth? Old and New Testament means servant. That's what it means. If I was a youth pastor, I'd make it hard as nails to be in my youth group. And I wouldn't give you a, a present for showing up once. I'm just mean that way. <laughs> First John says, the young people, the young people, he says, I'm, I'm writing to you because, young men, you have overcome the enemy, overcome the evil one. Okay? Amen. I'll give you the keys, whatever you bind, whatever you loose. So the church is a governing council that is meeting in heaven and meeting on earth, bringing the two together. If you've got the keys... There was a guy at CFNI years ago had a keychain about this big. He could open any door in the spot. But there were two people that had one key that could open up any door in the place. And they were the ones with the real clout. And if listen, if God's giving you and me keys as part of the governing council, if he's giving us keys, that's an authority, that's a right to step into arenas that Children don't step into. Mature, responsible, faithful people step into. Okay? Let me have, may I pray for you, and, and please forgive me for rushing off. Uh, I need to be back in Dallas tomorrow, and if I don't catch this flight, I was going to be late in the day tomorrow, so I apologize for that. I don't, I don't like that, but it was the only way I could do it, and Pastor Mark was gracious enough to Let me come anyway. Father, thank you for the amazing context that you in Jesus have provided to us. Thank you for this holy house. Thank you for the anointing of your voice and of your face and of your heart as was displayed this morning. The intercession for those who could not intercede for themselves. It is a indication of the maturity of your hearts. Father, thank you for what you've done historically here, that the living roots of what you began here would continue and would be fresh and new and contemporary with what you're doing into the future. May the Lord give you a fearless freedom to step into what he says to you. May may you be uh, utterly liberated to hear, to obey, to understand, and to cooperate with him. And may the Lord give you revelation about what it means to be a maturing governing council in the kingdom of God in this arena, this area, this region. Lord, I commend them to you. The Lord is your keeper. He is your shade on your right hand. 
The sun won't strike you in the daytime. The moon won't strike you in the night because the Lord will protect you from all evil. He will watch over your soul and he will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was great. I think, uh, I think we might have him back again sometime when we do an event or something, eh? He was actually supposed to be with us about three years ago. And, but what, that's when he contracted the cancer. And he canceled because he was in such pain at the time. And uh, so, you know, we're going to have to revisit uh, uh, his, his role walking with us. I mean, uh, some of the things he said, you've, I think you've heard before. It's great to hear it, from, you know, with a Texas accent. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, to be an apostolic church, uh, and this is the calling of this house, it begins with taking responsibility for your life and then your region. And um, and so, man, this is the direction we're going. And uh, thank you, God, that you're raising up people who are going to own the the futures of their 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 community and their neighbors. And whether that's evangelism or or however that you know, we're here to to uh, pursue the good of the community in which we're called to. So, uh, just one last thing, you know. Uh, at one of the international gatherings that we're involved with, uh, the Lord gave a word, and he, it was the 70th year of the United Nations. And the Lord said to, uh, to David, he said to him, uh, David Demian, and he said, uh, he said the, the nations have had 70 years to get this right. He said, watch now what I will do with my United Nations and uh, and so you know the John seventeen the unity of the of the body of Christ the the rising uh, order of a spiritual government that stands in the gates and legislates which doors will be opened and which doors will be closed this is uh, our destiny and um, and on what level that takes place whether it's the level of your family your level of your street, the level of your business, the level of your city, the level of your province, whatever it is, this is our role. We're being trained to rule and reign with him. We're not just going to go to heaven suddenly, oh, yeah, you didn't do anything, but hey, here's five cities. It's not going to work that way. Everything is being determined now. So, you know, pardon me if uh, I'm not totally moved always by our tears. (laughs) I'm moved by your destiny and the promise that's over your life. And there's a price that's worth being paid for the glory that shall be revealed. Amen. So, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name.